Notice Podcast, episode 63. This is actually season three, episode two. We're covering, this week, we're covering Lower Decks Envoys. But before we do that, let me introduce the rest of the gang here. My name is Tim Mitchell. I'm in Toronto, Ontario. And I'm joined once again by Jonathan Kuline and Mr. Mississauga. Hello there. And we're also joined by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? Or Mr. and Mrs. Seattle, Washington. I wonder if people actually go and look up Mr. and Mrs. Saga. There are probably people who in far off places think that's the name of the city I live in. Yeah. Mr. Saga? Or Mr. 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 Mrs. Saga? Yeah. Yeah. Or either that or the two people that are on the show that don't really say very much Mr. Mrs. Saga. Anywho. Um, yeah. So here we are. Um, back again. We'll be back for, I guess we're going to be back until sometime in October. 22 more weeks. Woo! 22 more weeks of Sparkcast. If I lived so long. <laughs> All righty. Well, we, before we get into the rest of the stuff, we usually start off with some fact checks. So let me just hit off the fact check right away. So I was talking with Jerry O'Connell and... Um, it is Jerry O'Connell, right? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have to do want to fact check that. But anyway, uh, Jerry O'Connell, he stars in a show recently, just last year, called Carter, which is, I think he's like a, a cop show star who's gone back to his hometown where he's helping them solve crimes and you know that kind of stuff. So, but uh, but he's actually a TV TV star, not not a cop. So it's kind of it's a variation on a cop show, right? But you know what? It is still a cop show. Probably won't watch it ever again. Um, I was talking about the Expanse last week, and I couldn't remember the name of the thing that's sort of everybody. He's like the central, it's the, the, what do you call it? The MacGuffin. Um, MacGuffin, thank you very much. It is the proto-molecule is what they call it. And they never really define it, but it's sort of the thing that everybody sort of, the thing that's making all the weirdness happen in the show. So I, I can't tell you what the weirdness is. And last week, Jonathan was talking about Michael Chiklis's TV show where he played a cop. I believe you're looking for The Shield. You got it. You nailed it. Uh, and he was like a really nasty, brutal cop kind of mm-hmm. guy. Like, yeah. Yep. That's the yeah. one. And we did mention Hill Street Blues last week. That was, a, I think it was the first one where um, people were sort sort of not straight up cops, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, and you got something. And I got something too. Yeah, we were talking about, uh, they made a reference in the first episode of Lower Decks to a, a Klingon with an eye patch, and we were speculating maybe that was a reference to some existing character, and uh, I can't remember which one of us said, maybe it was uh, Christopher Plummer's character from Star Trek VI, yeah. but of course he, yeah. blew, he blew up good in that movie, so oh. it couldn't possibly be him, because we now know that this, is, uh, this takes place in the future, so he's dead. Okay. Well, then there was a guy with an eye patch today. The, well, We'll get to that. Spoilers. Yeah, yeah, spoilers. But yes, uh, we actually do presumably meet the Klingon that was being referenced to. Oh, is it you think he was the same guy? Okay, all right. All righty. So let's dig into the headlines. How many are up? Yeah, this one has a, a really funny title. So I'm going to read what The Verge put here that Disney has no Fox left to give as it renames TV studio to 20th television. So oh, really? Yes, 20th bravo, century Fox bravo, TV bravo studio. To the people at <laughs> The Verge. The Fox, bravo. Fox to give? Yeah. You're bravoing the, the Fox? joke or i'm following <laughs> that headline as that a very very well done yes <laughs> yes and you you should know mm-hmm. yeah so they're, they're chopping off the the fox branding off of what they had acquired so really now you'll have um your disney television studios that are split into abc signature 20th television and touchstone it's not 20th television. century anymore either no it's it's not uh it's not 20th century television no centuries to give either it's uh it's a, a challenging brand to deal with if you're trying to keep it vaguely the same and and then still lop off pieces it's uh yeah, i don't know yeah I, I like me some 19th century television 
version. Yeah, why wouldn't they have just named it 20, 21st? I don't know. Like, it seems like it was time for an update anyways. Well, and on, on, on Futurama, they call it 30th century, don't they? Yeah, I think that's the joke, yeah. yeah. Oh, interesting. All right, next. Next one is a trailer for um, the Hillary Swank vehicle Away, which is a Netflix movie coming out in September 4th, which covers an elite international team of astronauts that have to go on a three-year mission to Mars and deal with the, you know, not only the science fiction drama, but also sort of the family drama of what happens to uh, your friends and family while you're gone for those three years. So this is apparently going to be a 10-episode series. Take the pretty, trailer check pre- out. That's a pretty good get. That's a pretty good get to get Hillary Swank on a, on a TV show. It's, that's, a, it's an Oscar winner. That's, a, that's not nothing. Well, no, no. She was in that show. Um, she was in that show about um, John Paul Getty's grandson that got kidnapped. She played the mother. Gee, I never yeah, saw that one. She, very good. She's very good at it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I was fortunate enough to do an interview with her way back when I was a, a writer, and and she was delightful, but um, it, you know, intimidating. She, she already won like two Oscars. It's like, whoa. Wow. Yeah. Because she won for Boys Don't Cry, and then she won again for um, right for the boxing movie with Million Dollar Baby. Million Dollar Baby. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, Great movie. Yeah, and she was like super, super nice, like really down to earth, really easy to talk to for an interview. Hmm. Like I, I liked her a lot more after I met her. I did see the trailer for this. I watched it a bit. So it it kind of it reminds me a bit of Interstellar and that sort of the plot, the family plot that happens in that where you know the the father goes away on a mission and he's like gone for a week and his entire family ages like eighty years or something, you know, hmm. while he's gone. So, yeah, this leads to the great internet meme that everybody has where he says, you know, this little maneuver is going to cost us fifty four years, and right, you just attach it to anything that is unreasonably slow, like upgrading your phone or oh, really <laughs> waiting at the DMV or something. Wow, never, I've never actually heard that as a meme, but that's an interesting meme. Yeah, you, oh. you, if you if you go into um, Reddit's uh, memes subreddit, the, it, it definitely comes up quite a bit. Hmm. Cool. All right, JPK, you're up. Yeah, I got a couple things. So uh, some movie news this week. It was had been sort of rumored out there for a little while now, and it but kind of weird one. So uh, the rumored and yet seemingly unlikely Tron Three mm-hmm. has a direct director and apparently a star mm-hmm. uh so the story is that is it garth, dude well yeah um <laughs> in a shocking turn of events so it's a white guy uh garth davis um who has he did uh lion which was a, a, a well-received critically acclaimed movie a few years ago at, that got a bunch of oscar nominations including a best picture is uh was on tap to be the director of of tron 3 and Jarrett leto is going to be the star apparently okay. Um, Not Jeff Bridges. He's too busy. Well, I mean, he came back for Tron Legacy, right? So it was possible. Uh, so it's very strange because the film was kind of not unsuccessful. It made four hundred million bucks globally. That's the Tron mm-hmm. Legacy, the second. Uh, so the original movie, obviously, nineteen eighty-two. Tron Legacy came out in two thousand ten. So we're talking like by the time this comes out, we'll assume it's probably two years from now. We're talking twelve years later. So no, it's not quite the big gap that there was between the first and the second but that's still a quite a long time and kind of strange because it it was not a hit but it wasn't a miss so it's kind of a strange story and i'm not quite sure what to make of it and i can't decide if i'm excited or not you guys have any strong yeah. feelings about tron well i mean tron in general was was like the original movie i mean with, i mean with a big serve with a big chunk of cheese but um it was a it was an interesting movie i mean i it, there was a lot of people that wanted to you know ride this what do they call light cycles and all that kind of stuff and and there was a lot of video games that were spawned 
from the whole Tron idea, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like even Snake on your Nokia phone, I think, came from Tron. But um, from that, like it was an interesting idea that, you know, because back then, like the culture was, you know, you had people playing video games and you had a whole lot of anti-video game people. And the whole idea of, of a character being sucked into the game kind of thing and, you know, becoming part of the game, that was kind of an interesting concept, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, I guess Jumanji sort of the reverse of that, right? But, um, uh, yeah, and then when it came out, I mean, I to be honest with you, I kind of wondered, like, was it like a cash grab when it came back out? But then they had, you know, Olivia Wilde and yeah, Fridges came back and played dual roles. And it was, I really did enjoy the movie. It had a sort of Blade Runner-esque spin to it, not not from the point of view, like from the point of view of future tech, right? Mm-hmm. It was well done. It I mean, was well done, yeah. I mean, I'd watch it again, but yep. like, do I need to watch another one? I'm not sure, you know? Yeah, and it, the, the stories that are out there, so Deadline, I will give them credit, Deadline.com broke it. Uh, they said it's not necessarily a straight sequel, so they're, they're still a little murky as to what exactly it's going to be. So there's not a lot of de- details, because so, I guess initially after Tron Legacy came out, there was discussion, well, will there be a third one? And they had sort of hemmed and hawed about whether there'd be another one. And they didn't feel like it was strong enough to necessarily warrant another one, but they're going to do a third movie. So the question is, what's it about? And how does it tie into the sort of Tron legacy uh, mythos? I, it's, it, it'll be interesting to see how they build that together. And, and Leto, I mean, I, some people, he can be a little polarizing. Some people love and some people hate and some people are indifferent, but um, he's, a, he's, he's an interesting actor, he's an interesting performer, and sometimes he's a real hit. Sometimes he really nails it and sometimes he's in Blade Runner 2049 and um, <laughs> that wasn't bad his performance was bat crap crazy in that movie that he's the most inexplicable portion of that movie for, by far the weird like you know I didn't really like his Joker portrayal either the yeah so I mean Suicide mm-hmm, Squad mm-hmm. yeah yeah like I said he could be a little polarizing some people love his performances because he's he takes choices he's really method he goes in and does weird stuff but then he can also turn people off because he's kind of weird um so, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what that kind of performer brings to that kind of universe. So, yeah, it could yeah. be good. Who knows? Mm-hmm. All right. Next up, uh, some bad news. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flip-flop back and forth here. Um, there was a bloodletting at DC Comics this week. Uh, a crisis, if you will, at DC Comics. Uh, apparently, they just gutted their staff. Uh, major layoffs. They laid off their editor-in-chief. They laid off uh, a whole slew of people. Um, and apparently, this sort of stems from the merger or the acquisition. I guess AT&T purchased Warner Media. And uh, so, there's all kinds of speculation as to sort of what led to this. But when AT&T merged, it took over um, everything, including Warner Brothers, Warner Media, DC Comics, HBO, all that stuff. They launched HBO Max, and when they did that, everyone figured, well, that DC Universe app that has the Doom Patrol show, the Swamp Thing show, Stargirl, uh, Titans, um, Harley Quinn cartoon, all that stuff was going to be in real deep trouble. Um, so there was already eyes on that being a thing, but they also have gone further, and they so they they haven't necessarily. Um, so it says they they laid off the majority of the staff working on DC Universe. So nobody knows what is going to happen there, if they're just going to move things over to HBO Max or if it's going to go to CW. And they also... 
yeah, they, they let off a huge number of people in the actual DC editorial side for the comic book side. So people are waiting for the other shoe to drop. Are they going to start canceling books? What's going to happen there? So they, they fired their um, editor-in-chief, Bob Harris. Uh, Hank Canals has been there for years. Uh, he's the VP of publishing. Uh, they fired, uh, I think, yeah, like did their digital strategy uh, chief, their senior story editor, their executive editor. Like they really kind of just cleaned house. Wow. So at comic books are in a weird place right now because of covid and because of um a waning attention span for that as a medium and yet it is still one of the huge generators for stories that have been adapted for television for movies for other things it is the it is the breeding ground for talent as it has been for 50 years or more more accurately 100 years so this is a really huge story that i don't know that got a ton of attention this week but this could be really impactful if they're talking about scaling down the comic book uh, one of the titans of comic books in DC Comics and we're talking Superman Batman, Wonder Woman, Flash Green Lantern, Aquaman. These are household names. These are huge tentpole franchises for Warner Brothers. So I don't think we're going to see those titles necessarily go away but I mean if they're cutting that much on their editorial side it's going to be an impact so I don't know what the next shoe to drop is going to be but uh, personally as a comic fan I'm I'm a little nervous and I'm certainly my heart goes out to these people who have, uh, have lived, breathed and and bled for comic books for most of their careers and have produced some amazing work and uh and you know uh it's it's scary to to be losing your job in this environment right now and it's it's particularly scary as a comic fan to see this whole thing is uh so potentially is this, impactful is this because of like covid and they couldn't that they couldn't adapt to like an online you know working from home kind of thing or no I, I, is I, this it, just because of this large company buying another smaller company in- yeah i think there's probably some of that and i think there there may be some streamlining things happening in there as well Mm. but yeah i think it's going to be interesting to see what what comes next are they going to continue to publish the same number of books every month that they've been putting out are we going to see cancellations are we going to see a reboot of the universe are they going to put new talented people on board i mean they still have a lot of very talented people under exclusive contract jim lee is still there as the chief creative officer brian michael bendis is one of the uh, foremost writers in comics is still one of their lead writers for a lot of their big titles. So there's still tons of talent uh, working there. It's just a question of how this direction takes them. Uh, what what also remains to be seen is, again, what, what becomes of uh, DC Universe, the app, What's going to happen with Doom Patrol? What's going to happen with Titans, Stargirl? What's going to happen with those uh, that Harley Quinn cartoon people love? It'll be interesting to see where that stuff starts to shuffle. If they are going to pull the plug on it, are they going to keep that stuff? Are they going to move it around? Uh, it's it's a big sort of first domino, but I get the feeling that there's more to come. And it'll be interesting to see if we see any of those trends. I mean, comic books right now are in a struggling place because as a medium, the, the, you know, the weekly ritual of going to the comic stores and keeping those little stores that sell comics afloat has been really difficult in this environment because people, you know, you can't congregate in a comic store and, you know, chew the fat about your comics and, you you know, going every week is a challenge and flip, flipping through the old bins is a challenge. You know, a lot of that model's moving to the, you know, collected editions that you can order from Amazon or digital comics, but digital comics aren't making the same kind of money. So 
yeah, it's it's like I say, this is a pretty meaty story that that could have ramifications across all of pop culture. Right, right. Hmm. Interesting. I misread the next next story, but uh, you'll correct me, right? Oh well, I, maybe I will. Uh, another story. So we've got another cast member for the Rogue One prequel series about uh, Diego Luna's character Cassian Andor mm-hmm. that's coming to Disney Plus. So Adria Arjona, Arjona, I don't know if I'm saying that right. Uh, has joined the cast. She most recently and most famously was one of the stars of the Good Omens series that was on Amazon. Uh, And I thought she was fantastic in that. I really liked that series. So uh, I'm encouraged that this already had a pretty good cast. We had Diego Luna obviously reprising his role. They already had... um, Stellan Skarsgård and um, and some other good cast members lined up for it, uh, and and um, Alan Tudyk I think has already signed back on to be K two S O at the the droid that right. uh, yep. spoilers uh, bites it in in Rogue One. I was going to say, don't they all bite it in Rogue they, One? They they do. Yeah. Again, if you haven't watched it yet, sorry, it's been like four years. So, yeah. but uh, but yeah, like I think this is pretty good news. We've got another uh, another good cast member, and uh, again, I really enjoyed her performance there. So that'll be really cool. To see what she brings to that as well cool and this one i just don't understand why we need a rogue one sequel but you know there are other stories and well it's not a sequel it's a prequel right it's supposed to be be the dark side of the rebellion it's got a finite end you know (laughs) no but i like the idea like i thought it was an interesting and it was one of the parts of that i really liked the most was the his character yeah well just the darks the idea that there is this dark side of the rebellion that there is this like black opsy kind of side Sure. Where, yeah. you know, yeah, of course somebody would have to be an assassin. Of course somebody would have to be doing black ops stuff. Of course somebody would have to be, you know, d- sort of doing the, the yeah, dirty getting work. It done. Getting it done. Yeah, but it really hadn't been touched on before. Star Wars always sort of stayed a little bit on the clean side of, like, the rebellion is the pure and the good and the, and the you know, the, the empire is the dark and the bad. And Cassian was the first one, like that, you know, the, the one scene in Rogue One where he just sort of, he's like, you know, the guy, he's afraid the other guy's going to get caught and he's not and he does doesn't want the guy talking and he just puts a blaster in his stomach and kills him yeah yeah that's not something we would have seen from a quote-unquote heroic character in uh star wars you know han solo is you know a smuggler when he puts a hole in greedo that's probably the closest we've come otherwise it's, it was a pretty bold statement on the kind of person that that cassian was right. and really kind of set the tone for that movie that like this is not your regular star wars flick which i think was one of the things that a lot of people responded favorably to so i, I kind of like to see more of that world Okay, cool. And my final thing here is for you, Tim. Yay. This is for you. And, and Jaime. This is Jaime's doctor. This is Jaime's doctor? Oh, wait, no. Oh, I didn't start with this doctor. doctor. Wait, what the heck is this? No, no. Oh, no, no, no. This is this is for you, Tim. Christopher Eccleston me. is returning as the ninth doctor. Oh, you mean my favorite doctor. That's what you're Your saying. Your favorite doctor <laughs> is returning as the ninth doctor in a new series of audio dramas. Uh, Christopher Eccleston, who was uh, very briefly, yeah. very briefly, uh, Doctor Who, when it was rebooted in the uh, mid 2000s, I guess it was uh, ten years ago, actually. Yeah. Ten years ago, precisely. Uh, he was he was the Doctor, and uh, he was the Doctor for one season, and then he departed, and he has 
not returned for anything. He didn't return for the 50th anniversary, didn't return for any of the specials, even though they have reunited some of the Doctors in the past. But he is going to be doing this, um, one of the Doctor Who audio stories, which they have done a, a few of these so far, and they brought back some of the other Doctors. But it's very uh, kind of surprising. I, I don't know about you, buddy, but I'm, I'm surprised that he is okay. making this return. So by uh, May 2021, they're going to be doing the first volume, and he's going to be reprising his role in these these audio dramas. How do you like that? I don't think any of the Doctors have gotten away from being the Doctor. Like, you know, I don't, th- I can't think of a single one of them who didn't have to reprise their role. Like, maybe except for one of them came back on tape, but, um, you know, not one of them hasn't come back for, like, a Christmas special or something like that. You know, I'm pretty sure that they've pretty much all done it. I mean, mind you, maybe the later Doctors, the ones that I skipped, right, after, uh, after Peter Davidson, I stopped watching Doctor Who, but... I don't know. I mean, this guy has sort of steadfastly sort of, uh, you know, sounded like he had a bit of a negative experience, and it seems like he's he's warmed up to it a little bit. But. He had some behind-the-scenes issues that weren't, you know, not, you know, something we want to sort of talk about on there, but, I mean, the, like, there he had some personal issues, right, to mm-hmm. deal with at the time, some demons, right? So mm-hmm. maybe that's why he didn't didn't continue with the, with the idea, right? Yeah, but, I, I mean, again, I'm still, I'm surprised. I'm surprised that that move has come, and I'm surprised that, uh, that he's going to be there, but I, I'm encouraged. I'm, I'm keen to know how they're going to rewrite that or what they're going to add to his mythos. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, like from a visual point, I mean, like every doctor, in fact, there are some people, people who played the doctor in, in radio plays and even in movies that never played him on the TV show, right? Mm-hmm. No, just because they're just voice actors, right? Mm-hmm. So, and that's essentially what he's coming back as, although he's a recognizable voice actor, right? Yeah, and well, they did that um, They did that recently as well. Donna and, uh, and the 10th Doctor were in, um, in one of those audio dramas together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they've been sort of doing this, and it's been out there that these are happening. But again, I think the real sort of surprise is that Eccleston, of all people, is going to come back and do one. Yeah, yeah. Well, he did get eclipsed by David Tennant, for sure. Well, yeah, I mean, and then Matt Smith. I mean, those two are both amazing doctors. That's true. Yeah. All right. I mean, I think you've got something for us. Yeah, so very much in the same way that Hamilton came to Disney+, Plus, the, the Broadway play, you know, put on videotape and and then streamed to the to the the masses on the world wide web um the diana musical based on the life of uh princess diana was you know pre covid supposed to to come out and and be on broadway and that's just not going to be feasible anytime soon so uh it's going to have a, a first here where it's going to debut on netflix before it actually opens on stage on broadway in 2021 so it is going to do a run right like cuz yeah i mean being a stage actor is completely different than being a movie or tv actor right and and i'm i just watched again uh, yesterday i watched a concert that was broadcast by um from a like on vimeo right like they basically just the band got together and played and just you know they just streamed it out and pay what you can kind of deal right like i could see um plays and things like that being done in that format right i don't see why not right but yeah yeah and there's you know you know back when we could go to movie theaters there was those uh, advertisements you'd see before you know even the movie trailer started of like hey you know the met is going to be on you know one night only they're going to have you know the king and i or or cats or something and you can come watch it at the theater and it's a it's a you know recorded version of the the play production it's not like a made for you know made for film uh, cinema sort of screenplay so i think that's what's what's going here going on here um apparently the broadway play is planned to open on may 25th of 2021 and this will hit netflix somewhere in early 2021 
I guess you got to do what you got to do nowadays, right? Yeah, yeah. Everybody's having to change their their whole plans, right? We we talked about Mulan, I think, the last week about yeah. you know that good Hamilton. Yeah, Hamilton. Hamilton was the other one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, next. Yeah, in in Saturn news uh, regarding Netflix, um, the creators of Avatar: The Last Airbender, the the animated series, have quit the production or their role on the production of the live action adaptation over creative differences with Netflix. So that's uh, that's not the greatest sign. It's not to say that it'll be uh, you know bad, but it's not usually in your your statistical favor when the when the creators don't feel like you're following the the spirit as they see it of uh, of your property. So I've never seen the Avatar Air Last Airbender um, animated show. Right, I'm sure you guys have probably watched it. Right, mm-hmm. but and I was told to stay away from the the last live action movie they did with a 10 foot pole um probably by you jonathan but um what do you what do you guys think of it as a vehicle anyway as a as a story and etc is it worthwhile getting into these are the crickets i was talking about i mean does that to me i mean because i so i think i think it is i haven't truth be told watched um you know bookend to bookend i've seen a lot of episodes though i i probably should go and and just binge through it on netflix i I think when i was watching it it was probably like on nickelodeon or something so i would watch a lot of it but then like miss because i didn't record but it's it's a series where there isn't a lot of um like straight up mustache twirling villainy and perfect you know heroism there's a lot of gray it's a lot mm. more um mature in terms of the themes that it deals with than than you would think given that it's you know ostensibly a, a kid's show of this you know, go on an adventure and save the world kind of thing right yeah it's 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 surprising because uh as the story on the verge points out this was something that when they announced they were going to do a live adaptation a live action adaptation they were saying that they like they brought out the the, the, the two uh co-creators and said like this was part of the huge sale of it was it was michael dante DiMartino and brian Nietzsche. and the fact that they after two years are out it makes you wonder what is going on well we'll uh, we'll keep a watch on this one and i think you know speaking of, of airbending uh mr david blaine the magician has announced that uh, come august 31st he will have his next stunt uh live streamed as a youtube original david blaine's ascension where he has uh apparently watched the movie up and said yay with enough balloons (laughs) i can fly around (laughs) and i'm gonna float across the hudson river from new jersey to new york so there there you go hasn't that been didn't weren't people like scrapping helium balloons to lawn chairs and stuff like hasn't this hasn't this been done like what's why is this a groundbreaking david blaine event i don't know but the teaser trailer you know it's got me like yeah i'll I'll watch (laughs) really Wow. I mean, really, he may as well be swimming, uh, flying his balloon over a thousand shards of glass because the Hudson River, if you fall in there, you're going to die anyways. So, right. But you can land a plane on it. It's so full of crap, right? Yeah, exactly. You can just, yeah, put the landing gear down and coast. <laughs> yeah, that's a joke, by the way. Maybe joke. All right. I guess, hey, guess what, folks? We are at the point of the show where we celebrate the latest Star Trek vehicle. Uh, and this one is an episode, season one, episode two of Lower Decks, episode named Envoy. And 
And this week, Jaime Lopez Jr. is going to give us the play-by-play, and Jonathan and I will do our best to mock him. So this episode begins with a uh, a glowing point-of-light energy being boards the, the ship, as they are wont to do in Star Trek. Uh, except this time, it encounters Mariner and Tendi. And Mariner immediately tackles the being and threatens to shove it into a pod until it says, okay, 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 rather than taking you over... <laughs> You know, I can do stuff for you. I can I can rearrange matter. And she's like, cool, make me one of those really great purple striped tricorders. And it's like, uh, that's going to take a lot of energy. Do it or go back in the pot. All right, all right. Um, so it does that. And she's like, hey, come on, dude. It needs a power cable or a, a power cell. And he's like, oh, okay, it takes more. And each time this little energy being does this, it starts shrinking even smaller and smaller until uh, eventually it sort of just flies off as as Tendi and uh, and Mariner go to to try out their, their nifty cool purple striped tricorder and the the being collides with captain freeman and uh, you know this one it seems to to be a, a loose end that maybe will get uh addressed somewhere later in the season but that, i think that's the last we see of this little energy being well i love that when he does it he collides with her and he says die mortal as he tries to like i think he's trying to like either attack or uh, or inhabit or something the captain but it, yeah. it, it seems like he just sort of goes Poof. like yeah. i think there's, the idea is he doesn't have enough juice left to actually do anything and he just sort of disapparates yeah, I couldn't tell if he just had, you know, evaporated, as you mentioned, or fizzled out, or if that's like a loose thread for the future. But, you know, it's definitely a very atypical take on uh, on a trope we've seen on, on Star Trek uh, various series. Yeah, very funny homage. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, too, that, that uh, I think that this is sort of indication of the fact that we're going to get these little short introductory vignettes. Like, you know, like one of the things that, that if you watch the credits of Rick and Morty, and of course you all watch the credits of Rick and Morty, right? You know, they always have like a little, you know, 20 seconds second 30 second bit at the very end um it's kind of sort of the same sort of thing it's it's like it doesn't have it doesn't advance the plot of the actual story of the episode you're watching but these little things by themselves could become you know like they're almost like shorts in their own way right so but it was funny like i definitely set a tone because i laughed out loud because it is such a trope like as soon as you see the i think wasn't there a tng episode that starts the same way right it it goes in and it it goes into troy and makes her pregnant or something isn't that one of the tng episodes where yeah, and one of them one of them goes after um the, the girl from um voyager mm-hmm. um early season she ends up leaving and yeah so it's like it's such a star trek trope and to turn it on its head with having uh, mariner just like tackle it and, and extort it was hilarious yeah. hilarious well, and, and in the original series to have like a villain just sort of like the undescribable villain that or or whatever that they could have or, or you know protagonist or antagonist in the story they would put a piece of like silk with a tie eye on it over the camera lens and play weird music and that was the alien that you know possessed these people mm-hmm. and you know it was the guy that had the relationship with the non-corporeal being and on the planet and you know the, Kirk was coming to rescue him and, and then there's a number of times when these kind of you know non-corporeal entities you know attack and you know and then you've got even like Q I suppose could be in the same sort of sense right mm, yeah. yeah yeah interesting yeah. I mean there's another another really funny trope in the middle of this story hopefully, hopefully how many gets it well this is the test we'll find out (laughs) yeah we'll see how well i I took my notes um yeah. So we roll into Boimler getting the command assignment to escort General Corrin to Tolgana 4. Um, and we also have, uh, you know, so he's really pumped about that. And separately, uh, Rutherford is pumped for a completely different reason because he has just emerged from the Jeffries tubes and he's excited to just recalibrate stuff, just getting stuff working. Is he pulling is, cable in the Jeffries tubes? Just yanking his cable. 
<laughs> in the Jeffries tubes where nobody and he's got blisters around. all over his hands he says yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but following up from the last time you know Tendi is uh, wanting to watch the Pulsar with Rutherford but really he's just so busy with all his engineering tasks the only way he can get time to do so is in his opinion to switch careers altogether in Starfleet we, we cut back over to Boimler who's like pretty excited to to be part of the mission but discovers that Mariner is not only taking part in the mission to escort the uh, the uh, Klingon diplomat she is also commanding the mission with him as the co-pilot so he's very quickly losing all of his mojo um we see the the uh, the bit that we had seen in the trailers about uh, this is the shuttle with a blast shield and Mariner's just sort of like <laughs> making the blast shield go up blast shield go down sort of thing yeah. blast shield uh, blast shield yeah <laughs> blast shield <laughs> Uh, switching to the other track, we've got Rutherford requesting uh, a transfer out of engineering and getting the most impossibly good reaction ever <laughs> with the, the huge right, fake yeah. out, right? Like requests you know, approved or granted. Or, <laughs> I'm sure that wherever you're going, you'll you'll be a great addition to their team. Like I've never heard any manager ever have that reaction to somebody wanting to leave. Yeah. And did you catch that was uh, that was Paul Shear, the uh, the voice of Paul Shear, the comedian, writer, actor. Uh, as the chief engineer mm. no i didn't i didn't catch that i didn't i didn't yeah. catch that on the on the listen yeah uh so we do meet uh general corin who has an eye patch and, and is presumably the eye patched uh klingon from whom mariner had gotten the uh, batleth from in the previous episode uh and uh, he immediately gets attacked by mariner while boimler just freaks the hell out of like what are you doing why are you attacking the diplomat but it, you know it turns out it's it's all in good fun because uh general corin and mariner know each other from some off the books gray ops stuff as described there uh and uh you know they they do what uh we've seen many klingons do uh when when they get with their best pals and, and mariner corn get drunk on blood wine and just want to be dropped off in uh in little chronos section of uh togana 4 uh but apparently togana 4 requires a security confirmation code to access the planets and and this will become important later uh corin leaves with the shuttle uh in their in his drunken stupor which strands mariner and boimler and says where we spend sort of most of their part of the story as they're realizing that Tolgana 4 is protected by an ion field that restricts comms and transporters. So they're going to uh, to have to walk their way to some other, you know, opportunity to, to figure a way out. Uh, and apparently speed walking not only conserves energy, but is uh, something that Section 31 does. So I look forward to watching um, Michelle Yeoh speed walk in the presumed Section right. 31 series or, or maybe <laughs> in Season 3 of yeah. Discovery. It, it would be an, a hilarious homage if he did that just shuffling along <laughs> at a rapid pace uh so they end up talking to, to various people in this in this like little marketplace area right they talk to uh, a klingon woman who's a food vendor and just unreasonably aggressive um we see the uh the kalons which was a name that uh which uh tickled me i, I know it has nothing to do with um the kalons from uh from the orville but uh the the overlap phonetically amused me uh, we also see a whole bunch of other aliens including uh, the Taxors, who are not only blue and communicate in guttural tones and have a treaty with the Federation, um, but apparently uh, Boimler thinks he can speak their language and he can't. He has this weird, non-grammatical, profane uh, conversation 
situation while trying to get some some help and accidentally ends up insulting this uh, teenage taxer. Um, Mariner sort of saves the day by uh, uh, by taking that individual's wallet and, and supposedly throwing it away. And the, the taxer goes like, "Oh man, my my dad's gonna get get on my case," you know. So apparently this is a, a child and not a uh, not an adult. And then we smash back over to uh, to Rutherford, who has switched to the command track in in his uh, in his red uniform. And he's uh, with Commander Ransom, who puts Rutherford through these insane holodeck bridge simulations to see, you know, wh- what he's made of as a commander. And uh, there's just increasingly more chaotic sort of situations, uh, even though uh, it's hypothetically easier, right? It's like, okay, you know, we're, we're caught in this temporal rift. What are we going to do? Ah, uh, everybody's dying. You know, we lost 105% of the crew. It's like, wait, what? How do we lose more How people than we had? How is that even possible? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then in another scenario, they like lose the kindergartens and the pre-K and <laughs> Ransom loves oh, it. Like, every uh-huh. child on the place is dead. Yeah, yeah. It's like, hey, let's try another one on the ship with even more children. It's like so messed up. So, so oh, the first, the so first exercise, the first exercise is like an extremely difficult one, right? Yeah. And then the second one is like basic, like the computer even says basic training. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then he loses the, ki- the, the kindergarten and the pre-K <laughs> in class. Yeah. yeah let's the, let's the try Jane the Jane maneuver. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Jamie, Jamie Pernod, Pernod, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> Are you sure, Captain? Yeah, exactly. That whole the, that whole scene was hilarious. The whole the whole Rutherford subplot this week was very funny, but that part was hilarious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, you know, you're right, Tim. That that first one was like, oh, like we're fine, and then suddenly this temporal rift opens, and we're you know we've lost shields, and the warp core is about to explode. And and the other one was like, why are they even bothering the captain? It's like, Captain, there's this this you know Rock, meteor yeah. asteroid in our past should we move it's like really dude do you think why are you even bothering the captain here just move out of the way Uh, but somehow that was the one where like kindergartens and pre-k were lost um (laughs) (laughs) and he says to he says you know you should use the janeway maneuver he goes and he goes which is and he goes yeah good one good one (laughs) yeah yeah they 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 left that to our imagination as what that would end up being uh so we go back to to boimler and and mariner back on on Togana four and uh mariner has uh, has gone off to to go relieve herself from the uh, the many juices of the blood wine. Well, that and that line was gets... really funny too. The the line where she says, "I have to go blood peace and blood wine." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so gross. Uh, so while she's away, Boimler is there, and he gets uh, propositioned by a, a sexy lady in red who says, "Like you know, she she understands all of his his fantasies because she can and you know read his mind basically." But Mariner stops her uh, because it turns out that is an anabage that'll implant eggs in Boimler's throat uh, but that she can still read his mind even though she's turned her face back into this like weird like cobra you know, frilled lizard looking sort of thing that uh, still proclaims that Boimler still wants Jam- Jamaharan I think is what Jamaharan, I Jamaharan yeah Jamaharan. It's from, that, from that great uh, episode where Picard goes to Risa right? Oh is that what that's from? Uh, yeah do you remember that's the one where he, yeah, Riker tells him to buy this make sure you buy one of these statues and he buys the statue and then yeah. everybody sees the statue which says he wants Jamaharon so uh, uh, Riker's trying to get Picard laid and uh, Picard has no idea why people keep coming up and, and propositioning him mm, right okay <laughs> 
Uh, continuing in Rutherford's, you know, career changes, he, we find him with uh, Dr. Tana and Tendi in sickbay. Uh, and while he's good, you know, from the, the mechanical aspects of, of dealing, you know, with biological functions, he very clearly doesn't have good bedside manner as he's told to, to help calm down and, and, you know, appease the emotions of somebody who turns out has dilithium burns. And Rutherford's like, oh, there's a very low chance of you dying. Uh, yeah, how much? 18% it's like what oh yeah eight, like 20% now you want to get the heart di- heart rate down and it's like dilithium rays. oh my god man how are you even alive and the guy's freaking out and the doctor's <laughs> like all right look man like if you don't get better bedside manner like y- you can't do this job right so she sends Tendi over and be like hey everything's looking good you're okay oh okay all right yeah, that um, robot man said I was dying <laughs> so then we continue with Rutherford as he's uh with Shax the uh, security officer who puts Rutherford through the combat combat simulation Smorgasbord, where he gets attacked by all of these uh, Borg drones. But uh, thankfully, Rutherford is quick to realize, like, hey, maybe my little implant thing can help me out, and it does because it calculates the perfect combat strategy. And he starts whooping insane Borg butt, where you know he's just ripping off limbs and slapping them with it, and he gets knocked down. But like Jackie Chan's himself back up to immediately like punch and kick everyone, and Shax is just like, oh my god, like normally. I put new recruits to this scenario so they understand how to deal with defeat, but you aced it. You know, he's loving it. And I thought that was a, a fun little sequence watching, uh, you know, in the animated format. I think it works way, way funnier because oh, yeah. they can, <laughs> that would have been hard to sell. In, well, in, and they went fully action. slapstick too. They went really slapstick with it where he's, you know, not only is he kicking their butt, but he's also, yeah, like you say, he's ripping off their arm and slapping them in the face with it. And yeah, it's, it was really, really funny too. Uh, so we come back to, uh, to Mariner and Boimler, and and Mariner warns Boimler about you know the Andorian bar. He's like, oh, what are you talking about? Like Andorians are founding members of the Federation. Like it'll be cool. And they run across some Andorians who are pummeling an elder. And Boimler's like, do you stop that? Phaser's a guy. Turns out the elder is actually a thieving uh, shapeshifter, which I looked up, and apparently that is a Vendorian, a species last seen in the animated series. Ooh, cool. yeah, yeah. I didn't I didn't recognize that one. I was, I was hoping maybe one of you two guys did. Um, oh, nice but, catch. Yeah, yeah, fun fact there. there you uh, go. So this results in a bar brawl that uh, that really only comes to an end when Mariner screams, Kirk hands, so he's, like slaps a dude, <laughs> phasers in the air. He's like, all right, next five rounds are on me. As it turns out, it was really on the taxer because she had stolen that guy's wallet. <laughs> right. So uh, she find, finds a way to, to get through things. And, you know, after all this, boy, was just super bummed out. He's like, look, Mariner, you like never study, but apparently you've been places and and you're just, you know, you've got it all set for you. And I study hard and I'm, I'm just suck at this job. And he throws his communicator at the wall and it lands in a puddle of water. And, and we'll come back. So to this, this is part. where the best line in the entire thing is he, he says, I'll end up on a research asteroid <laughs> and, and I'll get, you know, which will get destroyed. And the only way they'll find out about my fate is by looking at my blurry log videos. Yeah. Yeah. Which is the, the, the plot the of about 10 episodes of Star Trek yeah. over the last 50 years. And, and you're right. The way he puts it, that they'll, have to spend a bunch of time trying to figure out what happened (laughs) after his demise yeah yeah (laughs) yeah 
Yeah. Yep. Um, and that's where this show really is starting to really win already. Like they just, they are tapping into 50 years of absurdity in storytelling that just, it's just, it's great. It's just really great. Uh, so we come back to, to Shax who introduces Rutherford to the rest of the security team proclaiming that uh, his blood runs yellow and black. Uh, but Rutherford spies a, uh, an engineer coming out of the Jeffrey tubes. And he's like, you know, I, I really can't, I can't do this. I, I got to go back to engineering. And, and again, Shax does the like opposite manager thing of like, all right, you know, it was great having you and, and good luck in your endeavors. Yep. You got to be true to yourself, son. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they, you know, they all start cheering for him. Uh, and then we're back on, uh, on the planet and uh, Mariner and, and Boimler are, are greeted by uh, a Ferengi who says, you know, greetings, humans. My shuttle is just beyond that ridge and, and I can help you. And Mariner's like, I think he's a Bolian. And Mariner's like, what? What are you talking about? Dude, look, look at his ears. Look at his teeth. Look at the way he's even like holding his hands in that greedy way that Ferengi's do. This dude's totally a Ferengi. Right? He's like, all right, man, you claim that you had a, a, a shuttle here. The only way you could have had that is if you had a landing code that let you on the planet. What's your landing code? And after a little bit like, uh, uh, from the Ferengi, you know, he's like, ah, give me your profit and pulls out a blade. And the yeah. and Boimler, like, you know, very keenly phasers away the blade and the Ferengi, like, you know, scurries away. Yeah. And Interesting that they chose a voice that sounded like, was it the kid who played on Deep Space Nine? Um, was his name Moog? The... Nog. Nog. Nog, yeah. Yeah, yeah. See, the voice sounded very much like Nog. Yeah. Who's no longer with it. Yeah, right? he passed away this year. Yeah. Aaron, Aaron Eisenberg, yeah. Uh, so continuing on that line, uh, Mariner and Boimler discover Corrin in this drunken nap, and they say, uh, well, we just have to get him <laughs> to the embassy. So they just drag him there, drunk, and throw him right in front of the front of the doorway. And, uh, you know, they've they've accomplished their mission. Uh, and Mariner tells uh, Boimler to, like, you know, hey, you know, keep it between us what happened, you know, where I thought the Ferengi was a bullion and it went wrong. He's like, oh, yeah, totally, I will. And smash cut to Boimler and, and the whole, you know, crew of the lower decks in their lounge and he's just like you know having a lot of fun at her expense right mm-hmm. um and uh rutherford ends up apologizing to tendy about the pulsar of like hey like i guess we won't be able to watch it together because uh turns out i'm, I'm back in, in engineering and i've got all these things to do in the jeffrey's tube she's like no that's totally fine like you know we can watch it together i can watch it on my pad and uh we can be together while doing that it's like it's not like you totally tried changing all your jobs just to to be with me he's like uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> um. And and we see Mariner in uh in her um in her bunk because they don't have crew quarters for the the lower decks folks. And we see her calling a Ferengi named uh Quimp and saying like, Hey, you know, thanks for you know thanks for helping me with that ruse. And he's like, Oh yeah, that did a pretty good job. I say human and everything. And <laughs> I think it's it's very clear that. Uh, Mariner sort of did the right thing here for Boimler. To, the guy really needed a victory, right? He needed a W on the board because he was just, you know, losing his faith in, in morale and, and what he was doing. And uh, we close out with Tendi watching the pulsar on her pad and uh, Rutherford fixing stuff in the Jeffries tube. And they're both very enamored with uh, with what they're doing. Yeah, there's definitely sort of that sort of interplay that you used to get between Kirk and Spock where you've got the one character who's, you know, totally doesn't follow the rules and is real sort of reckless and just sort of wings it and says, you know, what are you worried, are you worried about court-martial for? You, you know, they're wonderful. And you got the other one that's like by the book and doing, you know, the speed walking and, you know, you know, 
wearing the, the dress uniform and all that kind of stuff. I like some of the, some of the cracks that she gets too. And, and she says it to one point, I don't know if you, if you caught it, but she says, I pulled some strings and got put on this mission, right? Mm-hmm. And we all know who her mom is, right? But um, and, yeah, and, and the joke about like, who are you getting married later on? You know, because he's wearing the dress uniform kind of thing. Yeah. Which you only ever saw in Star Trek in funerals and, and marriages, right? Yep. So, yep. Yeah, for sure. Interesting. I, I mean, I watched this, I actually watched the episode twice because I wanted to go back and watch the see who the uh, the voice actors were because um, the IMDb doesn't catch up until the, uh, the show actually airs with with uh, the reporting right so um, and accidentally hit start again instead of pause so I ended up watching the show again so it was, it was interesting to watch it again it's uh, again it's like you know watching it the second time through it's kind of like you know this it really doesn't suck I mean like it it's actually it's actually very Trek like you yeah. know in a sort of you know animated not Rick and Morty esque, you know, Bob's Burger kind of way, right? You know, it's it's they're entertaining. They're not they're not like watch it once and and don't watch it again. Like some of those early, I'm sorry, some of those early TNG episodes, I can only take Patrick Stewart as the stern Picard mm-hmm. so much, you know. Yeah. By the way, I was looking up his age. Did you know he was like in his 40s when he was playing Captain Picard in TNG? Yeah, that there's a good age gap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think the thing that that struck me about it is I've watched the first two episodes with my son who has watched some trek but not a lot of trek not nearly the trek that the three of us have watched and uh he was definitely more you know i i watched it with him the first time and i was pausing so i could make some notes and stuff like that and when i paused he would say well, well who are they well what's that well what is that and and you realize how much the humor relies on your knowledge of trek like it's the you know the, the jokes about um there's a there's a great bit where when they are in the market and they're looking for Corin and they go to the booth with the the Gach seller and the Gach seller is like really aggressive Klingon woman and and um, she says you know uh, we, you know we just want to get down on our knees and lick his boots like the Federation dogs that we are and you know there's some great good lines but you kind of need to know like the Gach is a joke the the aggressiveness of the Klingons is a joke the the how the Klingons regard the Federation as a joke. Like, you kind of need that layer of knowledge to make the humor work. But I wonder how accessible this show is, and I'd, I'd love to get some feedback on how people are enjoying it who don't have the 50 years of Trek watching. Like, is this show something you could watch if you weren't a Trek fan and be like, oh, it's just funny? Or would do you, does the humor rely on your knowledge of Trek so much that if you didn't have it... I mean, Xavier watched it with me, and he was laughing, and some of it was just darn funny. I mean, you know, the lines about uh, uh, Corrin pooping on his own sword and, you know, like it's it's some of it is just humor, but a lot of it does lean on Trek knowledge. So I wonder if if it's just catering to a not a small niche, but a niche that is the sci fi Trek fan, uh, you know, and on all the in references again, I've got some flags written down here where, you know. Uh, they mention Arachtigino, which of course is the, the drink from uh, Deep Space Nine they reference all the time. They mention Gach. Um, the, you know, some of the jokes, the sort of Kobayashi Maru theme around Rutherford. Uh, Jamaharon, that was a reference, of course. The Dilithium Burns. Um, the Borg, of course. The Shapeshifter, like you mentioned, from the cartoon. Uh, the different, the way the different, you know, groups on the ship work that Rutherford's going through, like the dynamic 
mix of the security team versus the medical team versus the engineering team. Um, you know, Andorians, Bolians, uh, you know, the, you kind of need the knowledge of that universe to sort of get around it. What a Ferengi is supposed to be like, or, or a stereotypical Ferengi is supposed to be like. It, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I wonder if that is something that might keep this from getting bigger than just a niche show for Trek fans. And and I say that with the, the utmost respect. I laughed my ass off mm-hmm. watching this. It was mm-hmm. genuinely one of the funniest TV shows I've watched in a while. Uh, I thought the first episode was good. I thought this was even better and so much funnier. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think the, the pacing on this one is a little bit better uh, because it's not doing as much, right? The, yep. the, the very quick-paced premiere has to do a lot, um, more so than, than most premieres have to do with, with much more uh, time that they usually have, right? This is like 22 minutes that it had. And I, I felt like the pacing was pretty good on this one. I am kind of curious on, on how to evaluate what you're talking about, Jonathan, because I, I do get that sense, right? Uh, granted, I'm a longtime fan of Star Trek, so I'm like, yeah, I totally get like most of the jokes. Um, and it, it certainly means a lot more uh, when I do. And I wonder if this is part of sort of the overall strategy that CBS has, right? Where I think uh, on a spectrum for the, the three shows we've got from the, the new wave, um, I think Discovery is probably the most accessible to, to people because it uh, doesn't, for the most part, you know, until part of season two, it doesn't really deal with uh, a whole lot of like, you have to know who somebody is or what was going on. Uh, if you're, you know, vaguely familiar with stuff that's in the mainstream consciousness about Kirk and Spock and the Enterprise, like you, you've got enough to get the gist, right? Mm-hmm. And then Picard, it tries to be, you know, as uh, newcomer friendly as possible, but still has to lean, you know, fairly heavily on your knowledge of the character and his background from uh, the next generation. And I think this show is sort of more on that, you know, further extreme of like, it's really going to be pretty heavily predicated on your knowledge of, you know, the the series, um, the, the whole, um, you know, uh, universe as a whole. And I think that might be okay because it's it's not like before it was like, oh, dang, I'm going to have to wait like seven years before they can make a show that I want to watch. Mm-hmm. Right now you're like, well, I'll just wait till a few more months or or maybe next season. Right. And I think you've even got that other piece that's coming out that we, we haven't talked too much because we don't know much. But there's the the like kids show for Nickelodeon, the mm-hmm. Star Trek prodigy that who knows what that is. But I'm going to guess it's going to be a lot more similar to the style of the the animated shorts we saw for the short tracks. So I think it's making it sort of a there's something for everyone. And, and this may not be your thing uh, in this particular season, but that's OK. You may not even have to wait, you know, more than part of a year or or maybe just one year before the next thing comes out that you'll like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. You're right. I think you make a really good point, Jaime, about the sort of degrees of trekkiness, because one of the things that really caught me, uh, it, it was just as a coincidence this week, uh, Xavier said to me, I'd like to start watching Picard. He didn't watch Picard when it was on, uh, but he's a fan of our show and he wanted to listen to the episodes that we did of Spotcast. And so he wanted to watch Picard, but he wants to watch it with me because he wants the Trek knowledge. <laughs> so he said, wait, spoilers, he's already listened to the show. He did not listen to the recaps of Picard during our last season because he didn't want to be spoiled. He wanted to sit down with me and have be able to pause and ask questions as we went. So we watched the first episode of Picard yesterday and yeah, he had to stop maybe eight or ten times to say, so are, do we, are we supposed to know like what, what's the history of this? What is, like, what does this mean? Who are these people? What, 
what, why are they there? What does this mean? Um, you know, I had to break down, you know, and again, he's watched a little bit of Trek, but not a lot. And he watched Discovery and he really enjoyed it. But Discovery was, I think, catered more to the introductory audience. You could watch it with only a rudimentary understanding of pop culturally, like Spock and Kirk and the Enterprise, really. Like if that's all you knew, you could still get into it. Whereas with Picard, you kind of needed to know, you know, what was up with the Romulans. You needed to know about the history of the Borg. Mm -hmm. Uh, You needed to know about the assimilation of Picard, the whole, you know, Lacutus storyline. So I had to sort of, you know, go over that with him. And again, it just made me realize like, oh, it is not quite as accessible as Disco. And then in watching this one, again, we watched it together and he was laughing because some of it is just, it's just outright funny. But parts of it, he was like, are we, you know, like, who are those blue guys and why does this matter? I'm like, oh, those are Andorians and they're one of the founding members of the Federation. Okay, well, yeah. then what are Bolians? And, you know, like, so you start going through this stuff where, like, yeah, the the humor of the situation is, you know, the Ferengi playing the stereotype of a Ferengi is really funny for us because we're like, ah, that's funny that this guy's like a cool Ferengi, but he's playing the, like, you know, the, the first season TNG character of a Ferengi for this episode right you need that institutional knowledge of i've watched Mm -hmm. hundreds and hundreds of hours of star trek in my life over the last you know 40 years right yeah well it's funny like i was watching the other day i was watching the episode where um sarek and his wife ambassador sarek and his wife come to the enterprise for the first visit there's a that's where the andorian we found it that's where the andorians are introduced and turns out there's a spy who's been made up to look like an andorian he's got a transmitter in his antenna Mm -hmm. um spoilers for those of you who haven't watched that show but you know what 40 years ago uh, yeah, but, almost uh, fifty. Yeah, yeah. But I, I don't, I don't want to spoil this for for Xavier. But you know, like uh, the the pivotal scene where they they introduce Sarek and his wife, and and then Kirk turns to Spock and says, "Well, you know, we got a few hours to kill before the conference. Do you want to beam down to Vulcan and say hello to your parents? You know." Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to spoil it. But uh, yeah, it, you know that kind of um, that kind of stuff that you, you don't know, you don't know. You, you sort of you, it, it makes sense when you watch the you know Sarek and the rest of the episode. Episodes, right but you never you never really sort of get the the you know you need to there's sort of a deep core of, of knowledge that goes along with all of the characters right like like the Janeway maneuver there's a Picard maneuver too right mm-hmm. that's another one that comes up a lot in in, in Star Trek um and and then there's also how Kirk defeated the Kobayashi Maru right which uh, I'm kind of sad that they actually portrayed that in in the new the new Star Trek but because that was sort of always one of the mythos about about Captain Kirk was that he was the only cadet who, who passed that right mm-hmm. I'll be interested to see where this if this sort of continues this way again i think for people like us who are into it like i'm telling you like i love this episode i did i thought this was hilarious i laughed out loud a bunch of times i you know i for a fan like me who's way into this world and has that institutional knowledge i I laugh my butt off and i'm way in on the show but i could see how if you were trying to cater to a wider audience or or garner new fans by having it in a more accessible format like a cartoon i i wonder wonder how that you know of course According to IMDb, there's 20 episodes. Uh, not in one season. Yeah, so, I think that but, might be because there's a two-season order um, right when they started for, for... That's what I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they've yeah. already confirmed a second season. Right, right. Yeah, like, I think there's a few... The, the episode titles are out, but not who's in them and what, what characters they play. Because, you know, as I'm, as you know, I watch the show and I usually have the IMDb app with me just so I can, you know, do some fact-checking on the actors and things like that, things like that right? And there you go. Yeah, and there's like... A, yeah, 22 episodes. Sorry, I'm, I'm fact-checking. And we know... That 
we know the first four titles. Well, we know those four. Those are the ones that were sent to reviewers, right? All right. Anything else you want to say about this episode? Not this episode in particular, but I do appreciate that how the animated series gives them the ability to add a broader and more diverse range of uh, crewmates and um, aliens and other stuff in the background that would have been very, very expensive to do with practical effects mm-hmm. or CGI. So that's, you know, it, it costs just as much money to draw one of the human main characters as it does to draw the Vendorian, right? So uh, it, it is kind of cool that they can play with that more. Uh, very very similar to the my understanding my the spirit of the animated series from the 70s that could also do you know more things that would have been you know practically impossible from a budgetary perspective yeah yeah actually, i just want to say something about the, the watching the uh, original series i forgot about this thing that they used to do in the 60s when you know westerns were the thing like um you know you had all these gun smoky kind of shows and whatever and there was always a brawl of some type right and there's always a brawl in almost every episode of, of the original series right um where kirk will you know just have a go toe to toe with a klingon person or whatever and what and batman did the same thing and the green hornet did it as well but it, whenever there was a fight they would take the, the star actors out of the picture and they would put somebody in a similar colored shirt with a similar colored wig on yeah right but the body shapes were completely different yeah right and these and you're meant to think oh that's you know william shatner and and leonard leonard nimoy having a fight with you know the the the, the Klingon actors, right? But but it was so. I mean, even at like six and seven, I'm like, what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The the stunt performers were a little less um, on the ball or on the nose as they as and they were boxy too. Yeah, like yeah. They, like I mean, at least now they 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 try and find you know stunt double that looks physically like the other person. Right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. The other two, uh, the things I wanted to just flag. There was a couple of throwaway jokes right at the very end of the episode that was wrapping up the the tickets on the front of the shuttle. Yeah, that made me laugh and why is that just the, the idea that like they, they're actually like parking tickets like parking tickets he's like what are they gonna do send me a bill yeah what are they gonna send me a bill <laughs> and the other one was when they drop corn on the doorstep and he's just like hammered drunk and they're like well the ambassador's here uh, he just like, grabs the the Starfleet officer by the leg and says, "Fetch me my drinking horn." She goes, "Ew, no!" Again, just just that sort of level of of you know goofiness in that world. Which again, like of course, of course, that's what a Klingon would be like. Is like, yeah, I just woke up. I'm probably still drunk, but I probably could use some more blood wine. Just again, something about that that uh, level of, of institutional humor just sort of tickled And the joke my is, why does every Klingon name have a have an apostrophe? Have an apostrophe, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Except for Worf, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, but but uh, which is the first thing I thought of. But and did you catch the name of this the shuttle? Oh yeah, uh, I saw it. What does it say? I forgot now. I, I just was hoping you remember. Yeah, no, I I did see it, but I re- I remember looking like at Kismet it. Kismet or something like that. Yeah. It, was, it was an interesting name. I forgot. Oh, there's our fact check already for next week. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. interesting because I think in media I had read the the Cerritos is a California class ship where apparently all of the ships of the class are named after uh, cities, I guess, in California. And I think somebody had said that the shuttles are named after like rivers or bodies of water in uh, in California. Good old the USS Toluca Lake. <laughs> I have the app on my uh, iPad here. Let me see if I can pull it up. And some other media I had read said that the yellow strip on the, like the big painted line on the outside of the ship, um, that there are other Cerritos 
sorry, other California class ships that have um, either a blue or a red strip, meaning that it signifies what their focus is as a as a crew. So the Cerritos is more of an operations engineering focused second contact crew. Mm. So that would, according to this media I was reading, it, it um, fits in line with how they were uh, in the first episode going to the planet for second contact to set up a communications array to contact the Federation. Yeah, that was, uh, I had to explain that. That was one of the things I had to pause to explain to Xavier was he was saying, well, what do the different colors mean? And I said, okay, well, sure. So red is command and blue is science and medicine and yellow is engineering and tactical and security. And he's like, okay, but why does Kirk wear yellow? And I said, no, no, that's that's old track. That's a different thing. Well, I thought the guys who died were red. Why would the guys who were red die be on the command side? I'm like, oh, no, that's that's old track. Never mind that. So, yeah, I had to sort of explain that the colors haven't always been the same colors, but there are the three colors. And he's like, well, why are engineering and tactical wearing the same uniforms? Wouldn't it make sense for them to have different colors? I'm like, listen, I'm not going to argue with you. This is just the way it is. But he did yeah. make a good point that, like, why, why would engineering get paired with tactical? as far as color combination and it never occurred to me but i was like damn that kid's smart he noticed that so i bought some i bought some little um like pins like star trek pins at, at one of the comic cons a couple of years ago and so i got a, a red one a yellow one and a blue one which of course are the three because engineering wore red right like uh, in the original yeah, yeah. yeah 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 so even though scotty doesn't get killed every time he beams down <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah exactly by the way the name of the, the name of the shuttle real-time follow-up is yosemite yosemite yeah see i knew it was something mm. familiar yeah yeah well Oh, it's the name of it was the name of an operating system for Apple for a while there too, you go. Mm-hmm. as well as a mountain. And and while we're you know just to put a button on on the colors stuff, I think this is the first time we've ever seen the same crew member in all three mm-hmm. colors of uniform in the same episode. Yeah, I can't recall any other reason there would have been. Yeah, we might have seen. Oh, the, oh, the, the fact that somebody. he wore a different color for for each role, he had a different color. You mean on? Yeah, because we we've seen them where oh you know like you know uh alternate reality captain picard who never got stabbed you know he ended up going into sciences so he's wearing blue and we've seen uh like data or wharf where the the command read but i don't think we've ever seen anybody wear all three possibly period but certainly not in the same episode yeah Mm -hmm. and boimler wears red because he's on the command track the same same with marner i guess right yep um so here let me let me test your color perception here did you notice that in the episode in this end of the episode where boimler's regaling uh, everybody about his defeating this Ferengi guy in the bar and there was an Andorian ensign there yeah don't mm. remember I mean I don't think I distinctly remember seeing them no oh okay no. the question was going to be what color shirt were the Andorian wearing <laughs> now I'm going to have to pay even more attention to these episodes <laughs> bastard yeah because your brain goes blue right but it wasn't <laughs> alright cool let's move on to our watch list stuff though um, what you got this time honey for the watch list yeah mine is a, uh, a Rick and Morty video. It's uh, about eight to ten minutes long, I think, and it's a uh, it's an episode like a short style episode from Adult Swim that is uh, done in the style of an anime, um, and it's it's in Japanese. Oh, really? It's got English subtitles. It's the the voice acting is 
super Japanese anime style. They're they're even in the uh, Kabukicho area of um, of Tokyo. It's it's kind of uh, crazy as it is. And and the the proclamation here is that it has a bombshell revelation of uh, sort of epic proportions. If this was considered canon with with Rick and Morty, you you just never really know. They play fast and loose with canon, so so who knows? But it, it's sort of more more fuel for the the conspiracy fan theories that people will have. Mm. It's worth a watch. Yeah, I, I like some of the... They've done a few of those, like, weird sort of change the art style, change the people, uh, creators working with them on that stuff. It, it's interesting to see what they can do with those characters. Mm-hmm. Remember they did that that weird Australian one a couple of years ago, right? Rick and Morty? Yeah. Like, not part of their actual show? Or No, it's... Uh, oh, I can't, oh, I'm trying to remember what the name of... I have it on my... I bought it on iTunes. There was, mm-hmm. a, I think, another one from this same kind of series where they did it as... Uh, like a samurai era yeah, yeah. Rick and Morty episode, yeah. uh, not not like the main show episode. Tim, these are more like yeah, yeah, like one off. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rick and Morty Bush World Adventures. So on this episode of the critically acclaimed show Bush World Adventures, now celebrating its tenth season, we join our heroes Reek, Reek and Morty as they seek out the mysterious green cube of Bendigo. Will they succeed? Uh, it's weird. It's only eleven minutes long, but it is. It's like completely crazy, weird, bizarro episode set in Australia. Australia with the Australian voices, but they look like Rick and Morty. It's, the animation style is more like Bush World. It's weird, but it's definitely worth checking out on iTunes. It came out in 2018. That was way back. Jonathan, what do you got for us? Uh, Wait. Uh, what? No. Oh. Oh, I saw a holiday special and got scared. Oh, no, no. Be scared. <laughs> so this came over today, and this made me laugh out loud, too. Uh, the Lego Star Wars holiday special is coming to Disney+. Plus. Learn the true meaning of Life Day with the festive celebration of the entire Star Skywalker Saga in the charming Lego style on November 17th. Uh, I'm going to read this. This is I, I, kudos to the people at StarWars.com. It's the most wonderful time of the year on Kashyyyk, and Lego Star Wars fans are invited to journey back to Chewbacca's homeworld for a Wookiee-sized celebration of the galaxy's most cheerful and magical holiday, Life Day. Uh, for those of you who have watched the 1978 Star Wars holiday special, perhaps one of the worst things to ever have been done to the Star Wars franchise, and I'm including the prequels, uh, I, I love I love that they're doing this. So they're going to do... Uh, this is set in sort of the... the third trilogy era so it's ray finn poe chewy rose r2 bb8 but paying slight homage to life day 1978 star wars holiday special which was a just a television atrocity b arthur singing mark hamill in too much makeup the only thing that redeems it is the first, the debut, of course, of Boba Fett, uh, done by right. Canada's Nelvation, uh, Nelvana Studios. Um, but they're going to do this this holiday special, and uh, and apparently it's going to be tied into this year's 2020 Lego Star Wars Advent Calendar that's coming out in September. So some of the characters are going to overlap, and uh, yeah, and there's going to be a like for kids. There's going to be like a sticker book, and uh, yeah, this is awesome. I am totally on board. I think this is excellent right cool yeah that whole holiday special was what they used to do with movies and stuff like that back in the day they would do a really bad television ad. they were it'd be on like donnie and marie show and that kind of stuff yeah it's like art carney and b arthur yeah. there's like a musical number in the cantina where b arthur sings chewbacca's, uh, family. chewbacca's family the first 
like maybe eight straight minutes of the of the special nobody says a word in english it's all just the wookies grunting at each other there's no subtitles right. it is right. so fantastically bad i have a, a bootleg uh vhs from back in the day of course you can find it on youtube now if you haven't mm-hmm. seen it for the love of god watch it because it is so don't. so <laughs> unintentionally funny it is it's just so horribly bad uh yeah. i i love that they're gonna pay homage to that and i'm sure there'll be lots of little digs in there for for people who are fans of that this is what happens when george lucas gets rid of the company that they, this is what people will do to bring things back around by the way speaking of, so i don't have a pick this week but but uh i just found butt world which is a rick and morty it looks like a claymation episode that they must have done oh nice on adult swim yeah i don't know if lego is gonna make any uh you know figures or minifigs from from the special but um mm-hmm. i probably would get a lego b arthur if they got that far <laughs> <laughs> just to say that i have it oh so good the red stormtrooper in the in the, the little clip they got here too mm-hmm. like from the new yeah, yeah it's a, it's a oh, snazzy yeah. design yeah it works yeah but it's funny because it like i don't it, like it looks like it's sort of quasi like it's combined because if you look at the still they have here yeah there's a red stormtrooper there's uh uh the newest I want trilogy the glow, the glowing stormtroopers uh, too but there's also qui-gon uh not qui-gon it's um uh, mace windu and some of the other jedi are there so it looks like they're sort of mashing things up a little bit too maybe they're telling stories of because it says they're telling the whole story of the skywalker saga so i assume they're going back and telling the story of uh yeah because it says the the part at the beginning says they are reuniting to uh to celebrate the entire skywalker saga so i assume all nine episodes wow yeah and if you if you take a look at that same image you see darth maul who has either been you know recently bisected or was very very inconveniently half right. buried in the desert yeah. sand. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think the joke out. is that he's a half a guy now. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. He's lost so his feet. Goofy. Lego pieces got lost. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I guess that's it for another week. So, Jonathan, people want to get in touch with you. Where would they find you? I'm on Twitter and Instagram as at JPK News. And how many people get in touch with you? I'm on Twitter as at Dev of the Hair. All right. And as usual, my name is Timitra, T I M M I T R A, on the Twitter machine is where you'll find me. So, until next time. And we'll see you in the future. Bye. 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 You've been listening to the Spotcast Podcast. This is John Luke Picard. Shut up, Wesley. Sorry, say again. Just the tag. Gotcha. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the Spotcast website at spotcast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at Spotcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpotCast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash spotcast. You can find details on how to help us on our website, spotcast.com slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. for the Kraken. Go Leafs go. It's let's go Raptors. Yeah, it's, what, it's is the, what are the cheers in Seattle, Jaime? Let's see. There's complicated ones for...
for the Sounders. And the only one I can really participate in is the like half the stadium on one side says Seattle and the other side responds with Sounders. Yeah. Right. There's that. That's, that's um, not a bad call. And gosh, repeat. I can't remember. Yeah. I can't remember what the what the Sonics had. And and the, the Seahawks don't really have one. It's just loud noise <laughs> as much as possible. Beer. Yeah. <laughs> Just yell and scream and, and just be the the loudest in the in the league. Thank you for shortening your lives for our benefit. <laughs> it's funny. A friend of mine works for for um, CAMH, right, which is a Canadian Center for Mental Health or whatever. Mental health, yeah, mental health, addiction, mental health. And so when I said that the the nickname would be cra- the Crackheads, she's like, "I'm opposed to that name." Yeah, I bet you are. <laughs> I have a follow up question, Jaime. Jaime, do you do you root for the Portland Trailblazers now as your local basketball team, or does that make you want to shoot yourself? It, it was challenging given the the history between the Jailblazers and the and the Sonics. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I used to work for a company headquartered in Portland so I sort of had to adopt them for a while but but I don't anymore so now um, I'm sort of uh, like a ronin samurai without a master so I, <laughs> I, I've largely gone for the Lakers for no other reason than like stardom and you know it's a popular team mm, yeah I, I had a friend uh, who I used to work with another journalist and he um, he used to have an expression where he said I always root for the overdog I said the overdog he said yeah not the underdog the overdog I said what does that mean he says i'm a cowboys fan i'm a lakers fan i'm a yankees fan i'm like so you're a fairweather fan you're you just want like to root for the winners he's like yeah it's awesome my teams always win i'm like i i, I guess that's true i, I mentioned this honey because right now in the background i've got the uh the jailblazers playing the the, 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 the brooklyn nets well they're not the jailblazers anymore they were the jailblazers for a, an unfortunate amount of time in the early 2000s they kept having uh legal issues in in the uh rasheed wallace era yeah, Tim, they're they're more properly the trailblazers if you use their full name. But when they did have a whole bunch of people involved with the law, people mockingly called them the jailblazers. Yeah, the fact that she'd got she'd got what thirty texts in a season too. Like, I mean, that guy was a one man wrecking crew on <laughs> on his own team. Tim, <laughs> you have um, uh, the chapter uh, chapter setup in MTJC. Are you doing the same? I didn't look. Uh, did yeah, you do I the did, same did, for, yeah. for this as well? I did briefly. I did briefly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. So. Even even you know very coarse grain chapters I think ends up helping people for that. Well, so I mean it was it was Sean who said that yeah he he wanted us to put the titles. I didn't realize it was so easy to be honest. Well, it's not super easy, but um, you can actually like when you if you open it in Overcast or Apple iTunes whatever. Here's the show right here, Lower Decks. I can actually just hit play. Well, again, I have two sons. They're both in there. So I can go back uh, to the fact check. A, you have a, a really old fact check for intro. this podcast. This is episode six. Or the watch yeah. list. Uh, let's move so, on to the watch list. I think it's, so, it's helpful to, like Jonathan mentioned, just to mention briefly what we're going to do. Um, I can agree with that because people who are like, you know, they just have us in a in a big playlist while they're driving around or something. Oh. Uh, that would make sense. And then for people who, who are, you know, actively manipulating their phone, they can actually just see from the chapters. Assuming well, I don't that. know if you've noticed or not but but i always name the episode of spotcast after the episode we're talking about that mm-hmm. might be a hint yeah that's definitely i think that's definitely but if somebody's helpful. driving and we're in their playlist of like things to come they may not necessarily know yeah, what... but if you're looking at their car play they'll see that it says lower deck second contact what if they're in a dinosaur car like my wife well then you know why are they listening to podcasts isn't it dangerous <laughs> to be doing that while they're driving time to I buy probably... a bmw series 5 so you can unlock your car that's true your phone. Yeah. and if you can yep. do that then it has car play too did you you guys talk about an MJTC the the talk that 
they were going to do um what's mjtc or mtjc sorry <laughs> uh they were they're gonna the uh, bmw was talking about doing the subscription service for heated seats and all that stuff to the phone no they were going to do it as part of like you don't get those as like they put them in your car but to activate them you have to have a monthly subscription no way oh yeah really? oh my god i had seen that but i don't think we talked about it on the show oh it, my god that seemed like perfect mjtc stuff like uh, yeah, yeah. yeah that yeah, maybe yeah. laughing we could, and we I got tell a huge those guys over at mjtc that they should t- cover that yeah more um, just than code <laughs> i'm gonna start a rival podcast called more more just than code yeah you can call it uh what was that other one called uh diadem or something like that what's it called here hang on i've got it on my link here oh pod attack pod attack is the name of that pod that podcast i was talking about last week that stole our name what they have an episode called spotcast oh right 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 right. pod attack i don't know maybe they're like criticizing pod- you got to listen to it i don't know you speak german and stuff like that but you know yeah yeah like i said i did translate it, it just seemed to me like they were rambling so they mentioned spock and kirk that's, the, that's just what germans do too you know yeah is it okay well, rambling not people. like not like we're like you know constantly you know. <laughs> not like they're on point like us <laughs> All right, speaking of which. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.